What's up, everybody? It's Intuition, and this is kind of neat. Uh, the new podcast. Uh, hopefully, you guys enjoyed the last episode with Baths. And uh, this week, we have in Chuck English. And uh, I was excited to interview him, and the interview went great. Uh, we are recording from Cosmic Zoo Studios, the new Atwater Village studio extraordinary space opened by Daddy Kevin. No can do. Love this spot. It's very comfortable, very vibey. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about some stuff going on in real life. Uh, as you guys know, Mark and I, Equilibrium, we're still working on a record. I know it's been taking forever, but we're fucking perfectionists, so deal with it. Uh, it'll be worth the wait. Uh, hopefully you guys have checked out the new video we just released called Ain't the Blues. If not, go to my YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash it's intuition. And in the meantime, your boy has been broke as fuck, and uh, I'm currently out looking for work because the life of a rapper is not always glamorous. Uh, I've been, I've been over the last year kind of paying my rent, uh, and bills by doing freelance, uh, photo assisting. So if you guys follow me on Instagram and stuff, that's the reason that you see me traveling a lot and taking pictures with friggin' Kevin Durant and pictures of, uh, autographed, uh, sports illustrated covers of Kate Upton and shit like that. Cause I've been out, uh, on set helping photograph these people doing the lighting and stuff like that. But the industry seems to be slowing a bit for uh, for what we've been doing. So this month, Jesus Christ, I've been panicking, and I'm sure a lot of other people are going through that. Uh, but, you know, keep your heads up. We're going to get through it. We will figure out how to pay our rent, whether it's by selling a TV or selling myself on 4th Avenue. Hopefully it won't come to that. That would be terrible. But, yeah, I've been out looking for jobs. Hold on. This is a phone call. We're not going to edit this out, though. Uh I've been looking for jobs, you know, doing the old Craigslist thing, and I've gotten a couple nibbles. And it's so funny, like, with the with the economy, the goddamn dag-nabbed economy the way it is right now. Everybody's, like, looking for work but not wanting to pay, you know? Go in for a job interview, and it's like, oh, yeah, man, sounds great. It seems like you'd be a real value around here. You know, what, what are you looking for for pay? Well, you know, I understand how things are right now. I don't need to get paid too extraneously so long as you kind of let me go do my thing and make money on the side if I need be. And they're like, well, oh, yeah, that's great. But I forgot to tell you, like, we don't have any, any money to pay you. And that is some bullshit. So if you're listening to this podcast and you own a small business, stop asking people to work for free. Man up. Pay your fucking taxes. Give people a job and pay them, you bastards. But anyways, I, I don't know. I'm just ranting. But uh, yeah, this week we had Chuck English. Chuck English, if you guys don't know, he's half of the cool kids, him and Sir Michael Rocks. Uh, they formed the cool kids back in, I don't know, 05, 06. I think he says it in the, uh, he says it in the podcast. But they're a revolutionary group. Without the, without the cool kids, I don't think any of the, the internet hits that are happening right now would be happening. You know, without the cool kids, there'd be no odd future. Without the cool kids, there's no Crayshon. There's no Trinidad James. There's none of that stuff. These guys created the template for the highly stylized, um, laid back sound that is so popular right now. And they did it, you know, seven or eight years ago. And so if you are a youngster listening, and it feels crazy to say, like, go do your history about the cool kids because it seems like just yesterday. But, you know, go, go do your history. Go listen to Black Mags. Go listen to Mikey Rocks. Those are some great cuts. And those guys have been off on their own adventures now, and they're doing their own thing. And uh, that's kind of what I talked to Chuck about. Uh, he's a real cool dude. 
good conversation flowed the whole time. So I uh, hope you guys enjoy and uh, make sure to follow me on Twitter, twitter.com backslash it's intuition, I-T-S intuition. And my man Ben Shim is back there on the boards. Follow him too, twitter.com at I am data base, base with two S's. So anyway, let's get into the conversation with Chuck. What is that thing that you're packing up right now? This is uh, what you call the future. (laughs) The future of what? Of cannabis. What I just did was I just uncapped a small capsule of magic magic wax, stuffed a pin that heats up the magic wax and gives off a vapor that keeps you stoned. And they call it a? A G-pen. The G-pen. And uh, they're always blessing me with cool new stuff, so... Oh, so they, like, sponsor you? No, I wouldn't say sponsor. I mean, <laughs> they're like, yo, we got this cool product. Yeah. Would you like it? Do you endorse it online? Tell your Twitter followers about yeah. it? Yeah. Oh, man, that's a sponsorship. This is a more of a volunteership. I agree with the product. You're not only a member, you're a client? Correct. There you go. Yeah, that's how we do it. That's tight. So, yeah, smoking on the G-Pen. Mm-hmm. Are you a, are you a Wake and Baker? Yeah, I, I, I must say that I am. Weed is my friend. I think a lot of people might say that, too. As soon as he walked in, he's like, oh, do you smoke? And I'm like, nah. And he's like, really? Because you look like you smoke. The thing is, I, I was that way when I was younger. I used to smoke a lot. And I got to the point where, like, I couldn't eat without it. You ever get that? Nah, because I don't really rely on the eat. I don't like to be in traffic without it. Okay, yeah. I don't like to be in the airport without it. I mean, like, before I get out the car with the bags... Something's getting ripped. So you're not you're not like panicky about carrying it in the airport. I don't carry it in the airport. I just get stoned before I get on the plane and oh, just okay. get on the plane. Make sure I got some when I leave when I land. Yeah. Then, you know what I mean? Yeah. There's been a couple of plane trips that haven't been intentional. It's been like, oh shit, I had an eighth in my computer slot. Like, oh whoops. <laughs> yeah. Like my future self took care of myself. Then do you ever see a dog and fucking panic? Like, oh shit, I think I might have some. Nah, because I know the the deal about drug dogs. Like, they don't just walk up to shit. Like, they okay. have you have to tell them what they're about to go smell, and then they go smell it. Uh, they're not just gonna walk by you and be like, oh, you got weed in your bag. Fuck you. <laughs> and just bite you in the ass. <laughs> and just completely, That's not what happens. Completely. The dogs are not snitches. <laughs> <laughs> The dogs don't snitch on you. <laughs> the dogs don't snitch. They're man's best friend, for real, just like the G-Pen. Just the G- Oh, good one. Yeah, there you go. You should go. call them. them. <laughs> it's man's <laughs> second best friend. The unalive best friend. Yeah. It just lights up. What were you doing today? What's your What's your day-to-day like? Um, Well, I'm in the process of completing Convertibles, my solo album. So everything has been revolving around like the construction and completion of that. I'm supposed to be out in July, so I'm just plotting out, you know, the way the record's <clears throat> going to look, phys- like the physical copies and, you know, all the other stuff that comes with building, like, a storybook of an album. The details. Yeah, and I'm pretty detailed, so a lot of it, you know, I surf in my thoughts for a lot of the day, but, you know, at certain parts I just execute what I want to happen. If I want to get this done on Thursday, then I start it on Monday. And How long have you been working on the record? Uh, about a year. So about like last year when I got back from South by Southwest, I just made the decision like, 
I'm making a solo album. Fuck it. Mm-hmm. And just started. <clears throat> kind of got into it. It's probably the most into something I've ever been. So it's been like a complete 365 days of this. Just this. Wake up. If I do something else besides it, I start feeling weird. Like even going to play basketball. Besides like going to pick up Tree, which is instrumental in me getting it done. Right. Like I don't like doing anything that's not involved with this at the moment. So that's just how I am with, with projects and art. Like I get 10 toes down in it. Approximately how many beats and songs have you made for it? And if you can give it away, how many are going to make the cut? See, the thing with me is I've produced my own album. So I'm like living as two people working on one. So I necessarily didn't make a ton of songs to make the album. I just knew what I needed next. I made like the first song, the first single you know, the last song, and then I started building a story arc of songs in between. So if it wasn't what I wanted, I just didn't save it. It's not like make a hundred different songs that don't have a vibe to it and then try to make a vibe to it. Like, I was dead set in locked in, like, like method acting, you know, beat-wise on what I wanted to do. I feel you. As you make the first song, you can start to see like, oh, now I know what I need next. And then after you got that, you're like, oh, this piece of the puzzle needs to come next. Right. Like there's a difference between me making beats for other people and me working on my own project or me doing the cool kids projects. It's like, you know, I take on different hats. It's kind of like acting through music. So I'll be whoever I need to be to complete you know what I'm saying? This vibe, this, you know what I mean? This mood. Is this something where you wake up and go, today is like the day that I need to make the club banger. And so you go nah, in. I don't specify um, different moods like that. Like, yeah. I don't say like, well, this is the club banger and this is the, you know what I'm saying? This is the ladies joint. So is it just like you pick up the, you get on the MP and if some, some magic starts happening, you instantly know like, oh, this is a keeper or, oh, this is something I'm going to show to Actually, somebody else. what I do is... I listen to what I want to make. So, you know, I listen to a shit ton of music, man. So when I sit back, if I want to make a song that has these elements in it, I sit back and I chief and I listen to what I want to make. And then I start where I'm like, oh, that's that's the mood. So if that's the mood and it's a pad, then I start playing the pad. If that's the mood and it's a break or the snares, what pops to me, then I go searching for snares until that mood is achieved. And then I work from there. It's way different than what most people would think. You know what I'm saying? It's a way more calculated process without being calculated at all. You know what I mean? So it's it's like when making the album, like I said, I have to just trap myself in what the mood of it is, which is like the soundtrack to your top coming down on your car. You know what I mean? Yeah. So all of that cool shit, all of those moods of, you know what I'm saying? You wake up in the morning, you're about to brush your teeth and beat up with some chick, you know, and... Like that Santa Monica breeze in your yeah, hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's you know what I'm saying. That type of mood is what that is. And then you know that's 7 p.m. I just left a dinner spot, about to go to some spot, and you jump in and it's juking, and it's the best music you ever heard. Like that's another song. Like it's just an album of that complete like pre excitement. You know what I mean? Like when things are about to go good. So I just work throughout that so when i feel like that bam i'm back to working on my album so you say that you've been listening to uh, a ton of music what what are the vibes that have been inspiring you uh, other than the physical vibes that you just described like what what types of music have you been vibing out to honestly 
I've listened to Toro Imoy for probably the past two straight weeks. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but there's something in that the shit. The new man. record or the old ones? Uh, or all three of them? All three. The new one is really good. The Freaking Out one is the one I listen to the most right now. And then uh, the one with New Beat and the... Uh, well, the last one, it looks like he's eating some sort of fr- somebody's eating some sort of fruit on the cover. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. real weird uh, yeah, yeah. HDR picture. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I like that record. I just, it's not too many times you listen to people where you're like, damn, that completely shits on anything I was thinking. Right. You know what I mean? Right. But it's in the same vein. I feel like I, you know, we probably dig from the same influences a little bit. Like, it's, it's really like synth heavy, but it's not. It's not like the characteristics of the synth, it's like the soul with. You know what I'm saying? Synth playing. Well, I mean, it's also very breezy music. Like, yeah, and it, it comes from the same mood. I'm like, like a way more the the gangster rap version of Toro Imoy. That's like the gangster <laughs> rap Toro Imoy. <laughs> no, it's the gangster rap version. It sounds like if you was if that was a world and that was like the jazz, yeah. the rap section would be me. Like that you. that sort of space synth funky, groovy like. You know, I'm very deep in the R&B, soul, funk category. What era? Like, 81 to 93. Okay. Like, uh, I really idolize, like, Paul Hardcastle's Rainforest. Like, it doesn't matter what time that comes on. That shit's playing all the way through. That's one of the few songs I skip. Because a lot of shit I've heard so many times that... I got, I'm just on the search for new shit. So I pretty much hit a song I like, go to the Spotify radio, and drive around until I you know, discover new shit. Mm-hmm. So my goal of the day is always listen to something that's older that I didn't know about and just study it. Because <clears throat> I've been riding around listening to Kashif. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I've not. Yeah, Kashif is crazy. Because you don't know of it, but it's some of the best like grooves and tunes I can hear. Um... I listen to a lot of jazz still. It's a very calming art form. And as I like grow older and I want to make crazier rap, I got to not listen to rap cuz it's it 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 decide it like sways you a little bit. Absolutely. You listen to the shit that that you everybody thinks is popular and you lose track of what you do that's dope. It's you know it's an easy art to be influenced by. It's a ridiculous art to be influenced by, but it's also uh, an imitation art form. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, so, people are always trying to do the same thing as what's hot out right now. It's like, oh shit! Back, I remember like you know in '07, it was like, oh man, Little John has a hot record, and then all of a sudden, everybody had the same Little John record. You know, which is still just some the different same words, way now. Like, you know, everybody, you know, futures the hot shit out. So, you a new rapper, the first thing you want is a a future hook right you know what I mean like, it didn't used to be like, yeah it didn't used to be like that yeah. but that's what happens when it's just what happens when things become a little bit off balance absolutely so that's why I like I like that shit cause I DJ so I listen to, to everything but I just have an ability to shut my brain down to like outside influences I really know what's cool like, I don't care what the fuck everybody else is doing. Like, to me, in my head, like, nothing is cooler than what I think is cool. Mm-hmm. So that's what I try to, like, embody in my music. Like, you think that shit's dope? I don't. But I bet you I can make you think what I think is dope is dope. So that's, like, the motivation behind, like, a lot of the shit. Is if I think it's dope, nine times out of ten, you're going to think it's dope. Because right. I'm, not, I'm not an easy win. 
that's the natural signs of a tastemaker, of a true tastemaker. Confidence in your own taste and not having to be told what's cool. Yeah, well, a tastemaker's getting a weird-ass connotation nowadays, too. It is. Because there's a lot of people that just call themselves tastemakers. Put it on their business card. Yeah, I didn't never do that shit. I just know what I know. And you know that I know what I know. So you don't mind listening to what I got to say. It's not like I'm telling you I know what the fuck I'm talking about. It's just I know what I'm talking about. I told myself that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like I'm not going to let myself down, so therefore you should feel cool. You know what I mean? Like If you know that I'm not going to fuck myself over ever, so listening to me ain't, the, you, ain't you know what I'm saying? You, you can't really go wrong because I'm not going to do you wrong because I ain't going to do me wrong. Right. You know what I mean? Like No matter what I listen to, if I tell you to listen to something, if I wore something I thought was cool, if you saw me do it, Fuck it, you know what I mean? Right. <laughs> and it's not nothing like the common man can get into. Like, I am not, I'm no different. Well, I'm it just, becomes one of those things where you don't have to ever label anything a guilty pleasure because it's like, hey, I think this is dope, and I don't give a fuck if you don't think it's dope because I think it's dope. It's dope. If you're convinced that Carly Rae Jepsen is a fucking dope record, then it's a dope record. It doesn't have to be a guilty pleasure, you know what I'm saying? It's not a guilty pleasure. Yeah. When I heard that shit the first time, I was like, holy That's some fuck. strong songwriting, right? <laughs> like, am I right? Shit, bro. That is a strong songwriting. Like, I just met you. This is crazy. Yeah. Here's well, my number. No, nah, there's Call a lot. There's baby. a lot. I didn't mean to like bring this up with the conversation, but there's a line out there where she goes, uh, before I met you, I missed you so much or something. And it's like, it, I just think that line is very profound. Whoever wrote that is fucking was on some shit when they said that. That was right. dope, you know? But anyways, I digress. Uh, when you're rolling around listening to the Spotify shit and you come up on something that you've not heard before, um, a lot of your music isn't sample based, right? So do you ever start where you're like, oh, man, maybe I'll flip this and sample it and then just take it out as I add more chords to it and stuff like that? Is your process See, the sampling out? is not like a choice. I don't make a decision to not sample. Okay. I do it. It's just you're not going to get it on someone's album unless I like know the dude I'm sampling and shit. Yeah. Like I'm not trying to catch no lawsuits for nothing else ever again. So if sampling your shit means that you don't look cooler and I get sued, like, fuck it. You know what I mean? But if people who held those publishing records, if they were a little bit more intuitive and business savvy, they would throw that shit out there and let people remix their art. Like, you you, you know what I'm saying? Like, you didn't invent those notes. That shit is easily obtainable. You know what I'm saying? Like, share it. It's not going to hurt you because it's still going to put money in your pocket. And it puts a whole new generation of people onto, your, onto your music. You know what I mean? Like, do you know a lot of these old artists think that they did that shit, but they didn't. Rap music revitalized a lot of their careers. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Like, this is rap music put a lot of money back in their pocket. And for everybody to be so anti-sample, that's the reason why rap is the shitty, it's not the golden era you think it is, because the golden era sampled the golden records and made a new genre out of it. So now you got people that aren't musically trained trying to stand on their own two legs, trying to give, like, soul and life to shit they don't really know nothing about. You get what I'm saying? Like, if Marley Marl couldn't sample, those beats wouldn't have sound like that. You know what I mean? Like, if Pete Rock couldn't sample, fucking, there probably wouldn't be a Pete Rock. You get what I'm saying? Like, think about that. Like, Kanye's making more original sounds now, but if Kanye couldn't sample, what would he do? You get what I'm saying? Like, so... I'm not against that shit at all. They're samplers. They're, there's machines that sample. So sampling should be more of an art form instead of a red tape paperwork situation. But I don't do it mainly because I want to be sampled. Like, 
when it gets to the point where my shit is there, like, I'm going to make sure kids sample my shit. Mm-hmm. I don't care. Like, that was how I got on to Odd Future. Like, I didn't really know about them until there was a song where they sampled, like, some beat I made and rapped over it mm-hmm. and, like, slowed it down and shit. And I was like, holy fuck, that's dope. You know what I mean? I never said in ever was I like, oh, they sampled my shit. Yeah, like, how did you feel about, um, well, who was it, Large Pro that sued Mac Miller for $10 million? Nah, it was uh, Lord Finesse. That was bullshit, dude, because you sampled that fucking song. Right. Like, who are you to sue some other kid when you sampled the fucking song? Like, if that's not the biggest crock of shit I've ever heard, like, really, bro? You know what I'm saying? Like, the fact Mac even had to deal with that shit is crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, you could have called Mac Miller, bigged him up for doing a dope song over your shit and not been a little fucking bitch about it. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just whack because it makes the older generation look like they hate the new generation. And it's nothing you can fucking do about it, bro. Like, it's nothing you can do about it. None of these rap purists, old school, I used to DJ on fucking vinyl motherfuckers are ever going to be able to say anything to us about shit. So it's like, you might as well just get on board, bro. You know what I'm saying? Cars got electricity in them. You know what I'm saying? There's goddamn touchscreens on the dash. People DJ off their computers. Get the fuck over it. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I agree, really? I like, get agree over completely. that shit. Well, so it's, it's really sad, though, to see your heroes walk around with their fucking finger up their ass tight as fuck about the new generation. Oh, we all, y'all don't got to do shit like we used to do. Like, I was a big, I'm a historian of the older generation. You know what I'm saying? Like, I know how to hook up everything like they used to hook up. I could record shit to four track, too. But it's like, so what, dog? Like, so what? There's kids being born every day. Are you going to hold on to the fact that you used to run everything to dat? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. great. You know what I mean? Great. That's awesome. People used to build cars with their hands, and they don't anymore. <laughs> right. So get the fuck over yeah. it. So, like, I feel a certain way towards it because, like, Mac can't did shit, but, like, try to respect the culture completely you know what i'm saying like he won people over like people wanted to throw the book at him he wins people over and he still got to deal with shit like that like it'd be different if you wrote the notes bro but you're gonna sue a motherfucker for 10 million dollars for some shit you sampled it seems a bit sad because he, 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 I'm the, he, I'm he's a paying homage, fan. he was like, paying homage you know like that's the homage thing. on a free song yeah on a free song <laughs> it's like here's this young dude like rather than stepping all over the forefathers of the game he's like paying respect to them a lot of new dudes have always walked up to the people they looked up like bowing and hands out and then the older dudes always want to shit on them like I've never in my life anybody that's ever walked up to me like you got love like if you went to high school listening to the cool kids or using middle school and you walk up on me and you're a new rapper I'm gonna peep your shit like and I will tell you if it's not good or not I'm not like sad about anything like I remember when people used to be like yo how y'all feel about the new boys and all this shit I'm like that's dope bro like they're kids I'm fucking grown. Like, if that was the point, you get what I'm saying? Like, if me and my mans can do some shit and then some kids a little bit younger than us are like, dog, I want to do that, then game over. You get what I'm saying? Like, why the fuck would I be mad at that? That's a great attitude because I've always thought, like, in the grand scheme of the modern rap game, I feel like the cool kids are so underrated in that Without what you guys did, there would be no Odd Future, there would be no Krayshawn, there would be no uh, whoever else. Like, I feel like you guys did something at a time where it was a weird transitionary period in rap, and YouTube just started to come to life, and all of a sudden Black Mags comes out, and you guys dress different than everybody, 
And now people are just catching up to that. Like, if you watch the Black no, Max... No, yo, everybody... Like, the Black Max video right now would do nothing. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. Because everybody, that shit doesn't even but that's look a, But different. at the time, it was so revolutionary in that, like... That wasn't an accident, bro. Oh, I, I, I believe mean, it. Like, I, believe I dropped it. out of school because I knew for a fact that wasn't nobody going to do that shit like me. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It wasn't nobody going to do it, especially with Mikey. But I'm, like, we were, nobody was going to do it like us. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, it just wasn't going to happen. So it was the it wasn't even a fast rise. It was like when you know something, you know something, you know something. So I knew it, and <clears throat> at a at a point in time where people didn't know what else what the fuck was going on, I brought back what I thought was the fun part and made me love the shit in the first place. Mm-hmm. I like combined what I saw in Crisscross and Special Ed, and you know what I'm saying, like bands like the Chili, like all this shit that I liked. That I knew everybody I went to high school and grew up with liked. Like, I was like, oh, this is what the world actually likes. Someone should do this. You know what I'm saying? Like, while everybody else was snapping and doing all sorts of other shit, I just came back with the regular shit. And it did something that jogged people's brains and been like, oh, that's what it was. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's like the, you know, the cycle comes. If I'm, if we're not around, if the people who, or the historians, the people that know aren't putting shit out, then it's going to go back. To, it's, it's back to where it was again. It's a real transitional period again. Yeah. So, and I feel like I reinvent the wheel. I, then this album will do exactly what I think it's going to do. Because yeah. it's back to that again. Like, it's back to, I did that that one time, and I kind of did that. This time, I'm really doing it. I'm intrigued by the fact of what you just said, that that wasn't an accident. So I want to go back. Tell us where where you're from originally. I'm from Detroit. What were you like as a kid, first and foremost? Same way. Yeah? Yeah, I was like older than I always was. Old soul? I wouldn't say old soul, but I just, like, I wasn't in a rush. How were you in school? I didn't really give a shit about school, but I was smart. So things came easy. B and C student, for sure, all the way through. Graduated with a 2.9. But did you apply yourself? No, dude, my mind was somewhere completely... That's why I'm sitting in front of you. You know, my mind was somewhere else. I, I know that I have to go to school. I know that I have to go to college because there's no way for my plan to work if I don't play this game. So school was just like school because I didn't learn shit. I just was regurgitating back what I was told. So if you tell me something and then test me on what you tell me, I'm just going to know what the fuck you told me. Were you a kid that had side hustles while you were in school at all? Nah, man, because I didn't really care about money that much. Yeah. Like, I I wanted shit, but I didn't want shit bad enough to jeopardize what I thought was about to happen. So I had to just stick to the plan. I didn't have a job in college. Survived on like $100 a week. Were you playing sports as a kid when you were in school? Yeah. What were you playing? I played everything. Yeah. I was like, I thought I was going to be an athlete for a really long time. What What was the route? What, what sport was the route? I was going to, I wanted to double sport it. I double sport, I triple sported in high school. And then around 11th and 12th grade is when I just was like, fuck that. That's just, that's just, a, that was a good dream, but I didn't work hard enough in like fourth and fifth grade and sixth grade. That wasn't like the goal. And everybody I know that is a professional sports player around fifth and sixth grade is when they made the decision, this is how hard I'm going to work for that shit. And just apply themselves completely yeah, to it. Yeah, fifth and sixth grade was when I realized I wanted to make music and drive lowriders. That was what all were you I listening to, to in fifth and sixth grade? That West that Side Connection, fucking Dog Pound, uh, Tupac, 
Really, I wasn't on new no New York shit till about 1998. No shit. No, I was completely West Coast up. Like everything West Coast. What was your neighborhood like? Like nowadays, you hear I all lived these in three neighborhoods growing up. One now now in Detroit, it's not like the best area, but I ain't, I didn't know that shit. I lived there like on this street called Newport. It was on the east side, and when I was younger, it was cool, man. Like everybody's grass was cut and shit, and I remember uh, the dude that lived next door to me, he used to have a pool, and we used to just jump in the pool in the front yard. And this was like 1986, 1987, Detroit, Eastside. Like, from what I was told, my neighborhood was booming. Like, oh. the kids around there was getting money. Oh, okay. It was like, you know, crack time. That's why it looked so cool, though, because the shit hadn't hit the fan yet. Okay. People had had, like, there was nice-ass cars. You know, people were wearing dope-ass shit. I remember going to kindergarten, and a chick that worked in Latchkey, she had all the cool haircuts. She had all the fucking flaws. She looked like salt and pepper and shit. <laughs> like, that's what basically I remember. Like, the rap videos looked like my neighborhood. Wow. So I used to see the small little white beamers on the small little white rims. There's a lot of shit I saw just because, you know, my parents had a lot of friends. And What did your folks do? My mom was a nurse, like a registered nurse. And uh, my dad worked for GM. Okay. So, like, I got no shitty story. That's why it's cool. Yeah. So we went from there. I think uh, somebody broke into our crib when I was little, and my dad was just like, fuck that. So we moved, like, I say a mile up the block to Kaju and Harper in Detroit, like, over by Finney High School. And that's where, like, all the cops and the firefighters live at. So it's a little bit nicer like like crime wise, like <clears throat> the houses and shit kind of looked the same. Like everything was nice down that block, but it was just like they wasn't really about that shit as much over in this neighborhood because they knew it was a ton of cops. Mm-hmm. And um, shit, that's where I went from. I say like first grade to fifth grade, and then in fifth grade we moved to Mount Clemens, which is a suburb right outside, <clears throat> which is the most interesting place on earth to me. Like, why is that? People, People that live there still, like all the homies I know, they don't get it. But everybody I know that's from there that left, like you realize like that was the dopest time growing up because it was so mixed. Like everybody was in a small ass confined area and you knew everybody since first grade. Like I didn't go to first grade with all the kids, but my dad lived there. That was where he was from. So he knew everybody's parents that I went to school with. Like I was going to a new school. And everybody that you going to school with, parents knows your dad. So there's already that little bit of history there. Yeah, like, yeah. you know what I'm saying? You get picked up from school and somebody sees you and hears your last name. It's like, oh, shit, I know your dad. Okay. So it's like a very, it was interesting to start off there. And then. There's like a sense of community there. Oh, it's complete. Everybody knows everybody. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, and it was dope because. And so it wasn't like all completely segregated, is that what you're saying too? Is there like was all- no sense of segregation yeah. in Mount Clemens. Like, yeah, yeah. like the white kids hang out with the black kids, the black kids hang out with the, you know what I'm saying? You could be in a smoke circle. I remember smoking weed for the first time in eighth grade. And I swear to God, that shit looked like the village people, like <laughs> <laughs> straight up in eighth grade. I don't know. I think that would have put me off of weed. No, not like, not like the real village people. I mean, like variety wise. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? There's two, two white girls, yeah. black girl, like Mexican girl with curly hair. 
you know, white quarterback looking yeah. dude, small black nerdy dude. You know what I mean? Like, I feel you. Like I grew up on an Air Force base, and it's a small community, and it, a lot of racial diversity in that. And it's like you're you kind of have no choice but to be friends with everybody because there ain't a big fucking field to pick from. You know what I'm saying? True, but it was just where you where I was from. It was like. While everybody was different, there was a small bit of the same. Like, the jokes were the same. Everybody heard the same songs. You know what I mean? Like, at the basketball game, everybody was there. Not one person sat over by one person by sat. Like, the black kids wasn't over here and the white kids wasn't over here. And that was why, like, I think that plays a big-ass part in, you know, how I sound and what I make. Because I didn't know that's not what I'm supposed to listen to. You know what I'm saying? Like, and my parents weren't like that either. Like... My dad had every classic rock album you can imagine and loved it. Like, I remember the first person that told me about Lenny Kravitz was my dad. I think he was the first person listening to it. You guys, have, did he have a record player? Like, vinyl we player? Had rape, we had every single music medium you can imagine. We yeah, had, my dad was except the same the way. I wasn't around. Like, I don't even think they believed in that. But we had, like, four or five cassette players, like the Entertainment Center shit, EQs, the tall speakers, record players, and... I remember going through, vinyls were my first toys. It was the only thing I used to play with. I would just look, flip through the pictures. And Peyton Full by Eric B. and Rakim was the one I used to put, like, next to my toys. And then, uh, I don't know if you ever seen that Grace Jones vinyl where her mouth is, like, open three or four yeah, times. Yeah, that yeah. shit used to scare the fuck out of me, dog. <laughs> like, <laughs> I used to get to that. I would just, the game was to get to as many records as I could get to before I saw that one. And, and if I saw that one, I was fucked. <laughs> like, straight up. Like, I still remember it to this day. Now that I'm not scared of it anymore, I remember the fear of seeing her with that high top fade and her mouth open, like, five or six times. Like, that shit looks cool to me as a grown-up, but as a child I Album was like covers what that nightmares are the made fuck of. is she on dog That's funny. and then I saw Boomerang and I was just like oh, okay this makes sense <laughs> this makes complete sense <laughs> but like that was why you know my early influence comes from alright imagine this is how I know like music companies are fucking up cause in third grade Diggable Planets Cool Like That was my favorite song I'm 8 years old I can't. I don't think a cooler. I don't think a cooler song exists. My and, my friend and I, when the trumpet party used to come in, we yeah. would be in my mom's. Yeah, we would be in my mom's caravan, and we would go like this. Like we would do that. I just made Yo, a remember stupid dancing Cantaloupe motion. Cantaloupe by us. Three. Oh yeah, Cantaloupe. Yeah, all right. Absolutely. I'm nine years old. Yeah, yeah. I remember. You see all these what I'm songs. saying? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the difference between. And then uh, I think now and like then is because you remember that song. That song was great to you. Anybody my age remembers Flip to Flip Fantasia. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? No, I'm saying like, uh, I, have, I have the same feeling like being in fifth grade playing basketball. I remember I had a friend, Spencer, who uh, he had older brothers. So he always had the hottest tapes because his two older brothers were in high school. And so he would be coming, um, you know, back when we had like fucking my first Sony's. He would come to the basketball game. He'd be like, oh, listen to this. You have to listen to this. And it would be like Ice Cube's Death Certificate or it would be like, uh, or yeah, it would be Diggable Planets. It would be like this wide range of music and just the feeling of like hearing these new songs before you're having a look at, at blogs every day to find new music. It was like your friends would have to fucking tell you about it. It was amazing. Yeah, it was. It was. I remember hearing First of the Month by Bone Thugs and Harmony for the first time. I was in the backseat of my mom's car. I was getting picked up from some library shit at school. Like, after school, library, go with the teacher, and it's like a class group. Get in the car, 
And I caught it like after the rooster noise. And I was like, what the fuck? Because I've been listening to Bone since like I had moved out to Mount Clemens. Like I remember being in Little League and the box came out. Oh, I love the I box. And I just got, like in Detroit, there was a cable company called Barden Cable. And there was this ugly ass gray box and you had this ugly ass gray remote. And everybody that cable had cable had the same shit. And I think 41 was the channel that the box was on. So I just come back 41 all day. And I remember... Uh, For you youngsters, the box was like kind of like MTV, except you could call in and request songs. It was all 100% music videos. Yeah, that's how you pretty much everybody got upon everything. And you could watch what other people called in on. Yeah. And before you couldn't call back-to-back-to-back videos in... Motherfucker called nothing but a G thing is 27 times one day. Wow. That was the greatest day of my life, dog. Like, I watched nothing but a G thing, like, on the floor with, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, Power Rangers had just kicked, like, they were just kicking in. And I remember, uh, I remember watching fucking nothing but a G thing playing with Power Rangers. I remember watching, um, what video were we just talking about? Oh, yeah. Cantaloupe? It's the thuggish, ruggish oh, bone. Oh, thuggish, ruggish bone, yeah. Dog, that yeah. video changed my life, bro. That was when I was like, I told my mom I'll go to the store and I just start telling her to give me those brown flannel shirts and khakis. Like, Well, I was, that's interesting because that's another uh, Midwest group that was influenced by West Coast rappers. Midwest is the, the California of the, like, it's like, the Midwest sound, I mean, the West Coast sound comes from the Midwest, like... Nobody in California, Roger and Zap, like in Ohio players yeah, and that guys. Dayton sound and then Detroit sound. And MC Breed was the first one to really make, like, put his foot down on that yeah. shit. I mean, I remember when uh, when I was first started hearing you guys, um, you know, Mikey Rocks and, and Black Mags. I thought you guys were from California. It had, a, it had a California swing to it. You know what I mean? It had that old kind of the heavy 808s of, like, early gangster rap, but in a new kind of swing. Like, you could feel that influence. That's where it came from. Yeah. That was exactly what I was trying to do. I feel like we got off on this tangent about reminiscing. Let's go back to what's currently happening. So I really like what you were talking about with sampling, and you said, I don't want to get sued again. Have you been sued before for, <laughs> for samples? No, but I've been in a lawsuit before. I can't go into full detail. Yeah, that's fine. Well, we just kind of settled things. It was just like somebody called us with our nose open, mm-hmm. and... uh we just tried to defend our it's like just defending your territory but <clears throat> we got we we've been in a lawsuit before i thought it was cool one time to like try to get someone off our names there was like the teenage cool kids there was this band called the teenage cool kids and i was just like come on dog <laughs> you know what i mean yeah. so even that was annoying and after that like and that was just me trying to protect my brand and uh after that and dealing with the label and just like, man, yo, I'm not going to court unless like I'm somebody told me that I need to go to jail or some shit. Like, that's the only way I want to go to court. I don't want to sue. I don't want to be involved in that type of like litigation. I just don't like that energy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, if you can't talk to me about some shit, then like, like I don't even want to be around people I can't like that don't feel like they can talk to me. It's such an American thing too to sue because somebody. it's a money thing. Like I didn't want like if I sue you, I don't want you. I just want you to know that legally, this is how it's going down. Like money 
is a horrible motivation to sue somebody for because you're never going to get it, bro. You know what I'm saying? How the fuck are you going to sue somebody for some shit they don't have? What are you going to get? What are you going to get? So it's kind of like an asshole move. Like, if you sue me, you're just a complete asshole. And if I sue you, then you're a complete asshole. To get me to go to court on some lawsuit shit means, like, I run out of options. The next option is to fuck you up. Like, that's just it. Like, and I don't want to go there, so I have to sue you. Which is also a horrible, horrible spot to be in. So I'd rather not be in either. That's why, like, making my own music, writing my own music, filming everything I make... So you have no misconceptions over who made it, who was there, and any of that shit. Like, I film it for the experience, but it's also, can't nobody be like, oh, I was there, and, you know, I told him to say this word. Yeah. I made him pluck that one key. That one key. And it's been people that have won off that shit. Really? Do you know what I would do to you, dog, if you sued me talking about, oh, I was in there, and I passed you the blunt? I would hope that you would stab me so that then I could sue you. No, I'm going to just <laughs> Muay, Muay Thai knee you in the chin. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm definitely suing right there, man. Yeah. No. Uh, <laughs> what, was the, uh, what was the first piece of music you ever made? I played in band in school. I've been in band since third grade. No shit. played drums since I was six. Can you still pick up the sticks? Yeah, I play almost once a week. I just, it's kind of like, it's kind of like some people do yoga. I can do yoga playing drums, if that makes sense. Like, you can low-key work up a sweat. So you can play with your legs behind your head? Is that what you're saying? Nah. (laughs) That was close. It was close. You know what I mean? I could do it one leg up and shit. Nah, but um, the first piece of music I recorded was, I believe I may have been in eighth grade, and there was this dude named Rob. And he was like a senior in high school and I was in eighth grade and shit. And he used to come through with his guitar and a four track and we would record drums and he would record guitar and then we would put his vocals through it. You know what I mean? And it would sound really dope and garage bandish because that was how we were really recording it. So that was the first piece of music I recorded. <clears throat> and then uh, a homie Justin in high school, his dad was like like a, a Christian musician. I had a lot of musical equipment. For, like, 1999, he had some fucking futuristic shit. Like, he was recording off his laptop through some sort of situation in, like, 1999, which I never... Like, at that point in time, I really never seen any studios or anything like that. Right. But um, I remember making this beat where I played the drums and the piano, and it was so quantized and, like, had no soul to it at all. It just sounded like... Sound like Windows startup rap beats. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, how it all went down was I started bringing all these beats home and shit and playing them for my dad. And then one Christmas, my dad just got me acid. Oh, he got yeah. me like Acid Pro and a CD burner. Yeah. That was probably like the best Christmas I had. That must have been what, around uh, 2002? 2000. 2000? Christmas 2000 okay. was when I got acid. Oh yeah, yeah. I do actually. I do remember using acid in two thousand. Yeah. Acid in an external CDRRW burner. That was what I. That was the first thing I recorded on was acid as well. Yeah. Uh, one of my um, buddies in college had acid on his computer. Would make beats, and we just started. And doing then, it. and then, my homie in high school, Brian. I used to go to his house after uh, we would like hoop after school and do all this other shit, and then I would go to his crib. And uh, how we used to do it was, like, on the weekends, Jordans were about to come out. Mm-hmm. 
Like he like this was back in the pre weird sneakerhead days that we're in right now. Back when you could just go to the mall, it wasn't too much of a line. If you got if you was there, you got them. You know what I'm saying? Like it wasn't no stupid ass line. But they used to put them out at like at noon, so you kind of had to skip school to go get yeah. Jordans, which is some bullshit. So <laughs> I used to go to his crib on the weekend before the Saturday. Uh, it would come out, and then I think they came out on a couple weekdays, but this one was like a Saturday or some shit. So I'm at his house on Friday, and I give him the loot, and he shows me Hip Hop EJ, which is like acid but rap beats, mm-hmm. and then gives me the disc. I take that shit home, and I fucking snap off, because it was like, acid was like, I'm looking for loops, and I'm making rap beats out of loops that's not necessarily And they're like, they're like loops that came standard with the program and yeah, shit. Or yeah, like yeah, you, you yeah, had yeah. like websites that would have um free, like license free. Yeah, samples. so I made I made a ton of beats, and I was like, if people don't know, like Bodie James, you know who Bodie James yeah. is? Bodie James is my cousin. Oh, no so sure. like around that time, I made, like I was making the first beats, and then I realized like he had learned how to rap. Because then between middle school and the beginning of high school, the end of middle school and the beginning of high school, like he got locked up. So when he got out, he got out on like a football game day of mine. And I like, you know what I'm saying? Like me and my brother, we always looked up to him because he was like, the, I was the oldest. But then when <clears throat> my aunt married his dad, like he became the oldest. So it was like I had someone to hang around and shit. Right. So he put me up on all the East Coast shit. Like I didn't listen to East Coast shit till him. And then... I didn't know he rapped. And then the first time I ever heard him rap was the most intense shit ever because he had been locked up. You know, if you ever listen to the shit he says, he's got crazier shit when he was 16 than he's got right now. So I remember playing him this beat and he helped me make it. And it was the first real like song we made. We never recorded that shit. But it was the first song we made. And from then on, I just never stopped making beats. Like, I think we made this plan like back then. And I didn't know that I I didn't know it was gonna work out like as good as it did. But when I went to college, I couldn't take my drums with me, and I had nothing to play on. And the dude, I didn't have a computer either. You didn't necessarily have to have a computer in yeah, 2002 when you mandatory. went to college. Yeah. So the homie had a a computer, and Fruity Loops had just came out. Yeah, and it was kind of almost a toy when it first came out. Yeah, you didn't know it's complete. People were not fucking with Fruity Loops. They didn't understand the capabilities that. Well, had. Fruity Loops Studio was not invented yet. Yeah. Like its mixing qualities were not. Right. You know what I'm saying? It was just step programming to the finest. And I didn't know that you could use MIDI controller with it back then. So I used to step program chords and shit. So making a beat was like fucking all day. Mm-hmm. But it was like the best all day period. And then. I remember sitting with a CD of Fruity Loop Beats when the homie walked in with the Reason uh, confirmation code where you could download Reason and then type the shit in. And then I got to Reason, and Reason was so difficult. Like, Reason is difficult, period. Like, it's really like hardware as a software with like MIDI programming. And you do patching and shit like real lab. So when you don't know how to use Reason right off the bat, that shit is foreign. It took me about like two, three weeks to get it. But when I got it, that's when the wave of shit that you have heard now comes from. And then 
what was that website that kind of predated MySpace? It was like strictly a music thing. It was almost like an early version of SoundClick. Like people would surf around looking for beats and shit. Oh, shit. Remember what I'm talking about? Anyways, I, I was wondering if you were up on that shit back no, then. No, I wasn't that much of a like social music. I wasn't trying to get on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like I automatically had known my shit was dope. So I was like, I'm going to wait till some dope shit happens with it. I'm not wasting this on nothing. Mm-hmm. I low-key like... I remember when the game started popping. I was working for this company that like did promotion, and you know, game was supposed to come in town at six in the morning to do this radio shit. I was supposed to roll with them. Like I'm like a junior in college and shit, and I make the hardest beats of CD ever, thinking I'm about to run into the game and shit. And then I show up at six thirty, and game misses his flight. You know what I'm saying? That was the only bust ass I ever did for anybody, and he didn't even show up. So after that, I was like, "Fuck it, that was a sign. I'm gonna just keep sitting on this shit." And then I meet Mikey. But you guys, you guys met through social networking, right? On MySpace. Well, no, we got put in touch through MySpace. Okay. Like we were in the same area. He went to beat shows, so we ended up knowing the same people. And this dude. Name eleven twenty, asked like told Mikey he should talk to me, mm-hmm. and cause he made he was like younger than me and made crazy ass, stu like crazy crazy ass beats. So one day I thought he was in college or some shit. I was just like come to the crib. He came to the crib and it was like a rap from then on. So when you guys met, was it just an instant bond and an instant click? Yeah, we just started. Did you guys just make a song that day that you met? Um, the the following weekend. Yeah. We made like four songs. Then the next weekend we make four songs. And the next weekend we make like we tighten up those songs. And the weekend after that I post them on MySpace. Was the response instantaneous? Yeah. I mean, it's not something that you can just you're gonna like you have to think about. It's one of those this is dope. Or you hate it. You know what I mean? Like it's not. Uh, well, let me listen to it again and see how I feel. I need to process it. Yeah, it's not a process. It's like we 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 created a line. Either you're on this one or you're not. And so were you in Chicago at that point or are you in Detroit yeah. though? I went to, to Chicago for college. Okay, so that's where Mikey was from is Chicago. Right. What was going on in Chicago in the music scene at that time? Lupe. Lupe was cracking? So Lupe and Flostradamus. Okay. And like... Those were like the biggest things in our scene that was cracking at that moment. Besides Kanye, Kanye had like he was already transcended it out of yeah, he yeah. rocket shipped out. <laughs> so one of the guys that noticed you was A Track, right? Yeah, and A Track was DJing for Kanye at the time, right? So was he on the road with Kanye when he noticed you guys? No, nah, it was uh, it was through me being really close with Flostradamus, like. <clears throat> we were all roommates at one point too. Oh. Um, but before we were roommates and shit, like we had did a party with them, and then they ended up playing some music and putting like songs, like and, and like just kind of repping us a little bit, like the group that they're putting on. And then <clears throat> they were in just doing a lot of stuff with A Track. And then I remember one time <clears throat> Josh from Floss just called me like, "Yo, A Track wants to talk to you." And then we just started, like, building, and we dropped some stuff. We didn't really do paperwork and all of that. It just wasn't a situation that worked out too well then. 
Mm. Um, but we still like supported their brand to the fullest, and things just got kind of interesting after he stamped this as like dope shit, and we went down to South by and killed it down there, and then went to Winter Music Conference and rapped during a track set. Oh no, during Crazy set, mm-hmm. and it was dope. And then everything just kind of went from there. It was like step, 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 boom. Like nothing. when you went to South by, did you guys already have a video out? Nah, didn't nobody know us. We just crashed the party. It was just like the dudes with the dope MySpace songs that looked extra cool because you couldn't find snapback hats <laughs> South by Southwest 2007. And we had a full bag of them bitches. And we were just down there looking like old NBA draft picks on the day off. <laughs> and people was just like, who the fuck are those dudes? And then we did a Levi, like the Fader for a party. And then, like, all of Chicago Mob Deep, we started breakdance circles and shit. Like, it was just, like, the life of the party. And I think that energy just transcended to all the people that was, like, press writing at that time. Like, yo, these kids came down here with their whole crew of kids. So just for perspective for the listener, approximately how many months after you two linked up was that stuff starting to take place? Like seven or eight. So like eight months after you guys met and started working, you're already playing Fader Fort. Slightly, yeah. yeah. Like I said, when you know, you know, you know, and you just be in position to move when things are working. You know what I mean? So yeah. it wasn't like I made this dope shit and I wondered if people liked it or not. It was just like you give us the mic, shit's over with. If you let us open for you, shit is over with. You know what I mean? Like we just became those dudes. If we opened for you and you weren't your shit wasn't cracking, we fucked your show up. I don't wanna like concentrate on the um superficial too much, but at the same time, at that point in like oh six, oh seven, people were wearing baggy jeans, huge white tees still, and you guys came out fitted in, you know, tight jeans. Motherfuckers were just like still very anti skinny at that point. Yeah, people wouldn't sh- even listen to us because Mikey had, you know, his jeans was but he had little ass legs, you know what I'm saying? But that's so it made it worked for him. Yeah. Because even his like even the tight shit he had on was like Nigga legs was small, so it wasn't like it wasn't. That's what I'm saying. When you guys first came on the scene, I mean, were people people were shooting? Were they shooting sideways looks because of how you guys were dressed? Because that was like yeah, but we was on some like. No matter what the fuck you said to us, we still got girls. Yeah, we'll still beat your ass. So both of those things resonated really high. So it was like you kept that shit to yourself. Or you'll be like internet people be like, man, I can't listen to them because they wear tight jeans. But we see them motherfuckers and they'd be like, man, y'all dope, though. So how does it feel now, seven years later, eight years later, whatever, to see like everyone still dressing how you used to dress? I'm not a pat myself on the back, dude. You know what I mean? Like, I'm just trying to push this shit forward. That was some shit I did in college. Yeah, This is some shit I'm doing as a grown man. So I hope that what I do next fucks anything I possibly could have done as a young 20s and just do it all over again or I got life backwards you see me you know like if what I did when I was younger is the best I got so that when I'm growing up and knowing more shit and doing more shit and seeing more shit I can't beat that then I'm fucking up Mm -hmm. so that shit was like what it is and that's why like you know to make it official like me and Mikey we gonna be tight for life like that's you know what I'm saying that's my friend Mm -hmm. Regardless of, you know what I'm saying, like, how we're moving right now. Like, I talk to him once a week. Like, we always see where each other's at. But you got to know when something's good and something was great. And there's no reason to fuck it up right now. Like, 
Y'all ain't listening to us. Like, no matter what people say, when we was dropping dope shit, no one gave a fuck. So now that we're not, <clears throat> people want to be like, oh, you guys are great. Yeah, no shit. Well, let's you know what I'm saying. Yeah, like, absolutely. So we're gonna let you catch up. We're gonna do what we've always wanted to do because this is what we've wanted to do prior to us meeting. This was just how to get to where we wanted to be at. Talk to me about the rise at the time after the Fader Fort shit started cracking, and then how long was it until you dropped the video? And what, what was the first video? Refresh my memory. Black Mag. Black Mags was the first video. And at the time, like I said, YouTube wasn't a fucking major thing. So it's like Black Mags came out. And you had these great visuals with this like really. It was just a genre-defying song, and it made a huge impact. So tell me about that. I don't remember too much. Like, it just, it all seems like the same day. But I, like I said, I have a really good power of not knowing, like, not picking up what I don't need to know. Like, my friends fuck with it, and that's all I cared about. Like, I saw the song in that commercial, and it was dope because, like, you know, family members was hitting me up. What was it, a Mountain Dew song or something? Mountain nah, Dew commercial? like the Black Mags. We did a Rhapsody commercial, and wow. we were in it. Yeah. We played it. It was like us and Sarah Bareilles. I remember that. Yeah, and that kind of put us on the map. That's really what jumped shit the fuck off. The Rhapsody commercial? Yeah, because you had to think. Like, at that time, you seen rap, and rap looked like it looked. And then you see Mikey had a fucking White Wolf t-shirt on. And I had, like, a Nike track jacket and one of those houndstooths, uh, like, pattern hats and, like, some crazy-ass glasses. And you hear this crazy-ass song. After you see this lady playing the piano and it's a commercial, you're like, who the fuck was that? And that was the point. So everything kind of happened. And after that, like like I said, this shit's not too... doesn't bug me out too much. I knew I didn't want for it to get too crazy. But there was a point in time where I knew where I walked up and down the street, most people knew what I looked like, and it didn't... It didn't fucking bother me. I still just wanted to get to the point I'm at right now. Like, so everything is still this winding road to get here. So I still haven't realized it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, nothing's really changed. I can do every single thing I did when I was in college. No no restrictions. So, <clears throat> like, the meteoric rise was expected. So it ain't no rise. It was what I wanted to happen. So it happened. Can we talk about some of the label drama in the past? Yeah, well, it's just like, it's over. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it was like, I can explain it as this. It could have been like a divine like interference, or it could have just been fucked up. But whoever did the shit, that's on him, you know what I'm saying? Because we came to it as like kids that had a really dope plan. Mm -hmm. And someone else met us with the plan, <clears throat> and all he saw was like, what he could get out of it, instead of... And that's just pretty much the system, you know what I'm saying? So it's no ill will. Like, I've made my peace with the shit. You just ran but it's into just some kinda shady like industry any, types. And not even shit. It's just like people have to uncap their brain around control. And all of these people that are non-artists that want to fancy art and want to be involved, like, be careful, dog. Play your role. You know what I'm saying? If that's not what you do, then admire from a distance. You know what I'm saying? But nothing will flip your shit backwards than, <clears throat> like, overstepping your boundary and, like, an art that's, you know, done, like, with good intentions like we were doing. You know what I'm saying? So you stepping in with your however you feel about it in any situation. Like, anybody, like, A&R and labeling, you see something that's good and you want to turn it into money, like, you're going to fuck yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, you might not now. You might drain it all out, but it's going to come back to haunt you somehow. You know what I mean? Like, and that's what I feel 
You know, like that's how I feel about a lot of the business <clears throat> interventions in music is like you know how powerful the shit is and everybody wants to see how much they can sell it but you can't sell nothing that's in the air you know what I mean like you can monetize the objects that come from it but trying to like control and control and control and be involved so much that you are the one that you feel made the decision is only just gonna push you out of it like not even like me push you out like it'll just push you the fuck out so that's just kind of my take on that you know what I'm saying like Certain things happen for certain reasons so you can know more. And I think that that's pretty much what that was. So it's been a big learning process. Everything is. But this one is like, we did that shit on our own. Like, nobody put us on. There ain't no rapper we stand by. There's nobody that could put his hand on my head and be like, oh, yeah, I helped him do shit. Like, you didn't help me do shit. I can stand next to everybody and everybody else feels like I'm their equal because they know I did that shit. You know what I'm saying? Like, it was no piggybacking. Like, we wrapped our ass off, we were dope as fuck, and there's nothing else you can say about that. You know what I'm saying? Like, in an area where that should be the only thing that mattered, it mattered, and we won from that. So, it's like, that's, you know, that's my take on how I learned, was that was my only rule, was nobody's gonna give me shit. Like, either I'm gonna take it, or I'm gonna learn it. You mentioned that you and Mikey are still really close and talk every week, et cetera, et cetera. He lives out here now, so... But you guys have had to take your own solo paths. We didn't have to. It was just what we were doing prior to meeting each other. Oh, okay. It's like we had our own plan, and what we did together was great. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. Like, we have our own plan to do more shit, but the cool kids and what it was, I'm not going to beat that brand to the ground because we did some dope shit. Now, what we're going to do next will be different than what we did before because we're not kids anymore. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, So do you look back at it as it was a side project? Hell no. That was our life. That was the life. But we not going to not know when the party's over, man. Like, you get what I'm saying? I feel you completely. Don't and try no to band, it. none of our favorite bands did that. Like, my album has one of the coldest songs me and him have ever done together. Like, it sounds better than the whole Cool Kids album on one song. Like, we will always, I did a beat on every single one of his shits. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's how we choose to do things, not how everybody else dictates. Like, the cool kids is us, not a rap group. It's just us. Me and him are the cool kids, like, straight up. It's two people. What we said we were going to do has nothing to do with y'all. Like, if we end up fucking doing movies next, and that's all we do, that's what we decided to do. So we came in and shit together. We made the decision to do what we're doing on our own together. So it's like, that just shows you how weird public opinion is. It's like when they don't know nothing, they draw their own conclusions. Absolutely. Because you see like shit happen with other duos and shit. Like it's supposed to happen with us. Like we're not outcasts. Like we're not like, we're not like in any sort of confusion about what we're doing. We know what we're doing. Like he has four solo projects. I have two beat tapes. This is a solo project was encouraged by like him and other friends. Like, yo, this is what you need to do. Every time I play him something, he was like, that's what you got to do. So this is the future. Like nothing new has, that is happening with us has been done before. You know what I'm saying? Like we go see eye to eye. We never had a disagreement. And we've been in a band and toured the world three times. And we've never disagreed on shit. Like that's not an accident. It's just... We would disagree now if we was forcing each other to do some shit we both know wasn't what we was into. Like, I'm spaced the fuck out. You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) I drop acid and go cliff jumping. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's a different... We live two different lives. 
So I want to make music that sounds like that. He wants to make music that sounds like getting it. So that's what we're going to do until we combine the forces and make the dopest album you ever heard again. But for now, like, it's just what it is. There's no problems. There's no nothing. It's just people can't, like, see something they can't understand and not see it as the negative. They can't be like, damn, maybe the motherfuckers are just grown now and just rather smoke and play each other each other's shit just until they get to the point that they want to record. Because we've said it before, like, unless we're chilling in some beach-ass studio somewhere with a tennis court in the back and some fucking native girls whipping up, like, crazy-ass meals, like, we don't feel like recording because it's half, it'll be only what we've done before. It won't be no new shit. You know what I'm saying? So until we're, like, <clears throat> in, the, in this crazy-ass situation recording and not in the same, like, closet, like, we don't have to do it. So we're only going to do what we want to do. So until it's like that, which we've seen and which we're working toward, it don't make no sense. Plus, if we did the dopest album ever right now, you wouldn't give a fuck. <clears throat> and it's just honest. So I'd rather do some shit you've never heard before. I'm an artist that ain't never did nothing, so I'm a whole different story. Me by myself is not me and Mikey. So I'd rather do something brand new right now. I think that's very poignant to say like people always assume the negative because, yeah, from the outside, when a group stop, like isn't currently working together, everyone assumes oh, they probably fucking hate each other now. Yeah, because there's a lot of people that, you know, ended up hating each other, I mean, but they I weren't homies. I you know what I'm saying? Like they guys. wasn't like people that considered the other motherfuckers feelings. You yeah, know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, well, I think it's great that you guys still fucking can can get together on that level and, you know, critique each other and work with each other in that in that sense. That's great. I mean, yeah, but that's. That's the way it's supposed to be in the Absolutely. first place. Like yeah. people before us did it wrong. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, like yeah. somebody's got to do it right. Like there's tons of bands that work different angles. Like you're a musician. You're not married to the motherfucker. Like you can do whatever you want. Well, it shows that you guys got together for the love of what you were doing and not because you had some plan to fucking make a shitload of money. We just wanted to make dope shit, dog. We didn't have a clue what was happening. It was no point in time where we used to sit in the room like, man, we're going to be home, man. We're going to be rich. We just, knew, we just used to make the shit and ride around. He used to have a Ford Explorer, and we used to just make the shit, burn it on CDs, and ride around and smoke to it and go to another CD where uh, we go to another studio where we knew other people was at and play our shit with their shit to just see who was better. That was the Olympics to us. You know what I'm saying? So when your motivation is rap sport, it's easy to get it to like critical mass because what you love is what people like about you. Like they like us because if you were ever around me and him, it's our world. Like, we speak our own language. We joke. Like, we got jokes all day. So anytime me and him are in the same room, everybody wants to know what we talk about because this shit is always funny. But we live in our own world. You know what I'm saying? Like, that is how we rap, like, how we hang out with the homies. You know what I'm saying? And that's pretty much why people dig what we do because it don't sound like nothing else. Because when you hang out with your friends, it ain't like hanging out with other people hang out with their friends. It's just... Rappers think that you got to rap to everybody. I don't give a fuck what you think. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't talk like you. You got to listen. You want to listen to me? This is how I talk. I'm not rapping what you talking about. I'm not driving what you driving. I'm not doing none of that shit. I do what I do. If you like that, then fuck with me. If not, you know what I'm saying? Listen to that other shit. And I think that that's the difference between, you know, me and other people is I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, in a really good way. In the last few years, I've heard more than one person say this, and I completely agree with it. I feel like you're kind of this gateway to like 
what's about to be cool. Like people that are on their way blowing up, it seems like they always stop in the lab with you and get a beat. Like you're almost, <laughs> you're almost like this, uh, like the bizarro version of Pharrell or something. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody wants to work with you when they're on their way up. Who are some of your favorite people that you've worked with? Um, I've worked with, it's crazy when I think about it and shit. Um, but I've worked with a ton of people and I don't think anyone in particular has been favorited than the other. I will say this. I did write a song with Dan from the Black Keys that's fucking dope as shit. Like, it's great. But we sat and we sipped, we drank whiskey and smoked some joints. And it was like me, Dan, and Nicole Ray. And we sat in a studio in Brooklyn and made the dopest shit ever. Was that for one of their Black Rock projects? Yeah. And it was so good. It was like one of the best collaboration moments. Because I was like, they were big. But they weren't like as colossal as they are right now. Yeah. But to me, they were. Instru- like musicianship wise, they were. So to even be in that like, I don't get floored too much. Because I definitely think I'm one of those musicians that can sit in a room with other people like and perform at a high level. But those dudes, the shit is just instant. Kind of just they are damn let's do this song bam 10 minutes later shit sounds exactly like they wanted to sound so that was like hella motivation so watching them do because they're like the rock version of my brain like they make shit that they grew up listening to they don't give four fucks what you think you know what i'm saying and they have grammys and sold you know like they got hits doing my like the plan that i thought was going to work in the beginning and they've been at it for a really long time yeah, it's been amazing to watch their journey because i started listening to black keys and like most 03. people don't reach their shit because they give the fuck up and then they break up but it's a two-man show and they're homies you see what i'm saying like when you like being around the person you make music with it's easier to go through some shit because me and mikey have slept in cars we've been overseas broke as shit We've, like, gone full days with no food, been on a train for, like, 16 hours, and never once have we been like, damn, I don't want to see this motherfucker. Like, if it wasn't for us being together and knowing how to get through that shit with your homie, that shit would have sucked. You know what I'm saying? Like, if I had to do my first world tour by myself, I would have gone home. You know, now I could do that shit because we got our routines. Like, yeah, I'll never fuck up again. Like, the first time I went overseas, I had, like, four luggage bags thinking that shit was sweet. Now... I know you pack your favorite shoes. You're going to buy more. Pack two of your favorites, roll your T-shirts, get two quality pair of jeans and pick like a show outfit you might stick with and you'll never go wrong. But when you're new, you're like, man, I want to look fresh every day. I'm going to bring every shoe I ever bought. And then you're going to realize that walk from that, that, that layover walk where you land in a different country. Then you go out of customs, and then you got to get back into customs to go to the other side of the fucking airport to grab your bags and try to make that flight. Like, fuck that. I'd rather just duffel bag it. But, you know what I'm saying? That just comes, like I said, that's the learning. That's the learning curve, too. You just drop knowledge on you, all you aspiring touring artists. Nah, yeah, How to nah, pack your bags. Yeah, you ain't gonna fuck with me right now. You know what I'm saying? Like, I wouldn't listen to me right now, too, because you're like, man, I'm packing all my shit. I'm looking dope. I'm about to get bitches every night. Like, that doesn't happen like that, bro. No, nah, real time. No, nah, it doesn't. Tell people the realistic version all of right, touring. I'm gonna tell you what happens. Yeah, tell me. Because so, I, I love uh, you. I'm gonna save all you. Pr- 
free rappers from your girlfriends because I know you. I know how hard it is to try so to you can't get what laid you on do tour. is yeah you land you wait for the ride you go to the hotel you hope that the motherfucker that picked you up has weed nine times out of ten if you're out of sea like and you don't know them they don't so you go to your little ass hotel with your little ass toilet where you gotta put your key card in to turn the lights on you watch your 14 channels till sound check. You get to sound check. It might be two or three chicks there that work there. Like nobody else. Do sound check. Eat food. Quite possibly start drinking it if you've bought that life. And if not, then don't. Then you do your show. And then once you do your show, you probably have an interview or something like that. All the girls have left. You know what I'm saying? Either find you late night food or go on that struggle run where you try to find chicks. Because most dudes act like, oh, that shit is always cracking like that. It ain't always cracking like that. Like, nine times out of ten, the girls that are there ready and willing, like, they not. That shit is an illusion. You know what were I'm saying? Were you guys traveling most, with I've her? heard of bands where they told me, like, you will hear that shit on MTV. Like, there was a tons of chicks backstage. But they send out their roadies to go get chicks while they're performing to keep them backstage till the show is over. Like, them bitches not just there. <laughs> just, they just show up. You know what I'm saying? Like, like it just is not, like, as glamorous as people make it out to be. That's why if you aren't really into it, you'll get on the road and want to quit because you have to perform that song every night. And it gets old. And it gets old. I don't really. And ever when you're touring at a at a bare bottom level, you're also being your own roadie and carrying your own equipment. You're loading in yourself. You're loading out yourself. You're the first ones to the venue and the last ones to leave. You don't get to the hotel after the show until three thirty a.m. And then you gotta wake up at six to get back on the bus or the plane, right? Correct. Yeah. So touring is not as glamorous as people think it is. But it's the funnest shit. But at in the, the world, same time, though. it is still fucking amazingly. There's fun. There's nothing better though to me. Like when you get it figured out, it's nothing better than pulling up to the venue hungry as shit eating for free getting that free food having like four or five good ass beers some drink tickets yeah and then having a a gorgeous eighth of weed delivered to you and the fruit basket in the back in the green room yeah something like that something like that or like there being a cord and hooking up yeah I feel you I I think touring is like it's amazing and fun but at the same time it's it's, it's a different reason than most people think because you're not out there living a rock star life you're out there on the road with seven or eight people that you you hopefully that you you enjoy yeah Yeah, and that you you bond with and it's a fucking bond that can't be broken out Stops, truck stops make the tour go around. Truck stop tuna sandwiches, holler. I don't know about that. I fucks bro. with them. <laughs> I don't know about that, bro. I don't know about that tuna, bro. Hey, don't hey, don't even worry about it. It'll keep you regular on the road. But anyways, uh, uh, so the record's coming out in July. That's uh, I would like it to. It, it might could come out a little bit earlier, but July is the. I'm not giving the full date, but I have it. It's kind of like. I've given dates before, but they were like in my own imaginary shit. But I have a real situation. Has the track list been released? Nah, man. Like I'm on some old shit. Have you told anybody about the features other than you just mentioned that? I can tell that you about the features. Yeah, let's the hear features about the features. Are, I have um for the first single I'm dropping. It's with Mac Miller and Absol. Sick. Um, it's called Came Through, and then uh, the second single is with Mikey, and it's called Swerving. And that shit sounds like in too deep NWA. It sounds like every single dope 5.0 trunk sound rap shit you could hear. Like I over, I like supersized, super shredded the cool kids sound on that shit. Like I just wanted to do one. It was pretty much like the rubber band. If you keep us from doing what we want to do for so long, we're just gonna come through and do the hardest shit. So I got Mikey. I got <clears throat> um, 
a song with Sabby. Uh, I have a song with Chromio. I have a song with Asher. I got a song with Chance the Rapper and Kids These Days. I got a song with Buddy and Polyester. It's kind of like a new cast of people. It's like, you know, people I think will be dope. But it wasn't more of a feature search. It was more of a who was around me at the time. So it'll it'll come off like the chronic. Like it was like my camp of people around. The only person I didn't see while recording it was Chromium. But I saw them. You know what I mean? Like we just run in and keep emailing the song. How many different studios are you recording at? Four, five, six. I'm no like I go to different rooms for different vibes. So if I make a song and it sounds this way, I might not mix it there. I might go look for the place that it sounds like to mix it at. So it's very, it's very like artsy and shit. But that's what that's where I get with it at. So um, yeah, man. There's a there's more features to be had, but it's not like features. It's more like these people were standing there and I thought they sounded great right here. So I put them right there. So it's kind of like just making plays to make the full. I was like a cast. You can't just make a movie with you in it. So there's like people behind the camera, people that help me produce the songs, and then people in front of the cameras. Word. Uh, before we get out of here, tell the people where they can find you online: Twitter, Facebook, website, all that good shit. Chuck English. Everything Chuck English. Just Google it. Spell it, cause your last name is spelled different. English with the I. There you go. I-N-G-L-I-S-H. Follow this man. He is a hip-hop stalwart, uh, very knowledgeable about the history. I had a great time talking to you, man. I really appreciate you coming through. Thanks, bro. Yeah, absolutely. This was Intuition, interviewing Chuck English, and uh, this was kind of neat. Thanks. powers some of the world's best podcasts. Here's a show we recommend. Hello, everyone. I'm Danny Pellegrino. I'm Jenna Brister. And we are back for season two of a very merry, iconic podcast. We're going to be diving into your favorite holiday movies, recapping them and going on a few tangents. Yes. And it's the end of the world as we know it. So why not close out 2020 with a bunch of episodes of Holiday Recap with us? So we hope Mm -hmm. everyone grabs a cup of eggnog. And a fistful of candy. Cook that bird in the oven. Doritos. We don't care what you're into. Just join us. Grab your bed wine. Grab your couch cocoa. We're getting lit on the holiday movies. We'll be doing 10 recap episodes. So subscribe to A Very Merry Iconic Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and find us on social media at A Very Merry Iconic Podcast on Instagram and we'll have all the updates there. A-Cash, 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 A-Cash recommends. recommends.